0: In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 45 through 49.
1: Interesting passages, as we always think of the idol, God dealing with idol worship in an overt, direct way, as in Israel. We're focusing on it. It's interesting that God doesn't tolerate it anywhere. And so uh, you can take that and look at our nation and decide what's coming. Verse 14 How say we? We are mighty and strong men for the war. Moab is spoiled, gone up out of his cities, and chosen among uh, young men are gone down to the slaughter, saith the King, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near to come. His his affliction hastens fast. All ye that are about him bemoan him. All ye that know his name say, How is the strong staff broken and the beautiful rod? Thou daughter that dost inhabit Dibon, come down from thy glory, and sit in thirst, for the spoiler of Moab is come upon thee, and he shall destroy thy strongholds. And um, and, uh, I don't want to get all bogged down here. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is going to take care of Moab before this all gets over. Verse 19, O inhabitant of uh, Arar, uh, stand by the way and watch, ask him that fleeth, and her that escapeth say what is done. Moab is confounded, for it, it is broken down, wail and cry, tell it in Arnon that Moab is spoiled. These are all cities, obviously, in, in the Moab region. And judgment has come upon the plain country, upon Holon, upon Jazza, and upon Mepheth, and uh, upon Dibon, and upon Nebo, and about and a bunch of other names I can't pronounce properly. And it goes on through all these cities. Uh, in, the, in verse 24, on all the, on all the cities of the land of Moab, Uh, far or near. Oh, I missed one in here, verse 24, Basra. We're going to talk more about Basra before it's all over. Basra is almost not the same, but close to Petra, and that's going to have an interesting prophetic issue. Verse 25, the horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, saith the Lord. The horn of Moab. There again, it's one of those phrases that's strange to us, because we're not used to this language, but the horn of an animal is its strength or its authority, its power. And the idea of a horn broken off doesn't impress us, but into the, the idiom of that time, the horn is a form of authority, and that's why when we have seven horns or ten horns or whatever in one of these visions of Daniel or in Revelation, the horn is power. It's, it's an idiom of power. And here Moab's horn is cut off, meaning he's powerless. He's lost the ability to wage war. His arm is broken, saith the Lord, make, and make him drunk, for he magnifies himself against the Lord. Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he shall also be in derision. For was not Israel a derision unto thee? Was he, uh, was he found among thieves? For since thou didst speak of him, thou skippest for joy. Nor ye that dwell in Moab, leave the cities, dwell in the rock, and be like the dove that maketh her nest in the sides of the hole's mouth. We have heard of the pride of Moab, he's exceedingly proud, and his loftiness, his arrogancy, and his pride, and the haughtiness of his heart. Now there again we have the reoccurrence of the root cause of what God hates. He hates pride. It was pride that caused Satan to fall. It was pride that leads always to destruction. And here for the nation, the same term is used and, and is the basis by which God is justifying the judgment of Moab. Verse 30. I know his wrath, saith the Lord, but it shall not be so; his lies shall not effect, so affect it. Therefore will I wail for Moab, and I will cry out for all of Moab. Mine heart shall mourn for the men of uh, Kirjares, the Ovine of uh, Sibah. I will weep for thee, and the weeping of the Jazer. The plants are gone over the. I mean, the, the the plants are gone over the sea. They reach even to the sea of Jazer. The spoiler is fallen upon the summer fruits and upon the vintage. The joy and gladness are taken out of the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. And I have caused wine to fail from the winepresses. None shall tread with shouting. The shouting shall be no shouting. From the cry of Heshbon even, and so forth, through these cities. And it goes on in the same vein. Uh, verse 35, Moreover, I will cause decease in Moab, saith the Lord, him that offereth in the high places and him that burneth incense to his gods. Again, the high places were classically the locations of the idol-worshipping altars, and uh, and obviously they bring incense to idols. Verse 36, Therefore mine heart shall sound for Moab like flutes, and my heart shall sound like flutes for the men of so forth because the riches. What you may not be sensitive to is flutes were associated with funerals. You and I wouldn't have that association, but that's the overtone here. It has to do with with uh, the ceremonies that they were used to. The term flutes there represent, was a characteristic of a funeral dirge kind of instrument. Verse 37, For every head shall be bald, and every beard clipped, and upon all the hands shall be gashes, upon the loins sackcloth. These are all forms of mourning. Now some of them are not condoned in the Torah. These are not, they're, they're prohibited to Jews, but these are Jews, they are Moabites. But even their style of mourning, namely to shave. See, again, the the concept of of that being you know, the form of um, humility. And um, the hands gashes, the, the idea of ritual slashing, which was part of idol-worshiping traditions in those days. They will be mourning themselves, if you will. There shall be lamentation generally upon all the housetops of Moab in the streets, and I have, br- I have broken Moab like a vessel, which in which indeed there is no pleasure, saith the Lord. They shall wail, saying, how, it, how is it broken down? How hath Moab turned the back with shame, so shall Moab be in derision, and a horror to all them about him. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, he shall fly like an eagle, and shall spread his wings over Moab. Kiriath is taken, and the strongholds are surprised, and the mighty men's hearts in Moab. At that day shall be like the heart of a woman in her pangs." And here again the term is birth pangs, like labor pains. How fascinating it is all through the Old Testament, and Jesus in the New uses that phrase of, of, of judgment and trouble of a country. The birth pangs, starting slowly and increasing both in short, increasing in frequency, increasing in intensity. You find that uh, phrase all through here. Moab shall be destroyed from being a people because he hath magnified himself against the Lord. Fear and the pit and the snare shall be upon the inhabitant of Moab, saith the Lord. He that fleeth from the fear shall fall into the pit, and he that getteth up out of the pit shall be taken in the snare. I will bring upon it, even upon Moab, uh, the year of the judgment, saith the Lord an Old Testament variation of out of the pan and the fire kind of thing, okay? They that fled stood under the shadow of Heshbon because of the force, but a fire shall come forth out of Heshbon and a flame from the midst of Sihon and shall devour the corner of Moab and the crown of the head of the tumultuous ones. Woe be unto thee, O Moab, the people of Chemosh perish. For thy sons are taken captives and thy daughters captives, yet will I bring again the captivity of Moab in the latter days, saith the Lord. Thus far is the judgment of Moab. Whew. Well, again, by the way, there is a prophecy of Balaam. You remember that interesting character in Numbers, Numbers 24? You'll find a prophecy on Moab, strange Lephew from Balaam. Strange Gentile prophet that's there, apparently in the non Jewish character, and that shows up in the Torah, in Numbers. Um, we notice verse twenty nine through thirty five. Moab's pride being the basis. It's mentioned how many times? Six. Structurally interesting for those of you who've been following the you know the, the structural issues we brought up. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, conquers the Moabites. Uh, for other prophecies that you might, if you want to track down and do a study of Moab, you'll find it in Deuteronomy twenty three three. Psalm 60, verse 8, Psalm 83, verses 6 and 7, Psalm 108, verse 9. In Isaiah chapters 15 and 16, both, the full chapters are on Moab. Isaiah 25, verses 10 through 12, Jeremiah chapter 9, 25, and 27, dealt lightly in, uh, on, on Moab. Ezekiel 25, verses 8 through 11, on Moab. Amos chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, for those to have the tape and make a study of prophecies on Moab should they should they be so inclined. That brings us to chapter 49. It's interesting that these, both Moab and Ammon, have fairly extensive chapters focusing on them. Uh, correction, uh, Ammon has just, the, uh, excuse me, chapter, only six verses of chapter 49, I'm sorry. We have Edom. There's got to be a lot, I'll, I'll explain why when you get there. Chapter... Chapter 49 deals with Ammon. He lived north of Moab, also east of uh, the Dead Sea. Uh, again, it's Lot's younger daughter who gives birth to Benami, having been made pregnant by her father. So it's again another one of these uh, derivatives from those strange days in Genesis. Ammon is restless, predatory, and more of a nomad. Does not have cities and, and roots like Moab did. Ammon is more of a marauding type of group, um, less civilized than the Moabites. They are the enemies of Israel, the Ammonites. Don't confuse them with the Amorites. That's another group. Sounds similar, but the Amorites had Jericho as the capital and all of that. Somewhat similar territorially, but really different and different group. Enemies of Israel, 2 Kings 24, and they participate in and rejoice over the fall of Jerusalem. Jeremiah mentioned that in chapter 40 to some extent. The Ammonites dwelt near the cities of uh, the territories of Gad, Rumen, and Benjamin, but particularly Gad, which is a tribal area. Reboth is their capital. Now, they live near Gad, and as Israel is in trouble from her enemies, The Ammonites take advantage of it and occupy Israel's cities improperly. And that's what's going to explain the opening of this passage as we get there. They are inappropriately occupying Israel's territory. Um, And um, Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy the Ammonites the fifth year after the fall of Jerusalem. It takes about five years after Jerusalem falls, but Nebuchadnezzar cleans it up. And so they're going to fall. So we have a six-verse prophecy against Ammon. Chapter 49 verse 1, Concerning the Ammonites, thus saith the Lord, Hath Israel no sons? Hath he no heir? Why then doth their king inherit Gad, and his people dwell in the cities? Now, Gad is a tribal area allocated to Israel. I always am amused by these passages because you hear God speaking in ways that are almost characteristically Jewish, you know? You see that occasionally in in the Torah a lot, especially when Abraham is arguing with God. It sounds like something you'd hear, you know, um, in New York or something. I mean, you just you can. It sounds like it's Jewish on both sides of the conversation. <laughs> Here we have God talking about the Ammonites, but I, I'm I, I'm amused at the style. Now you can say he's accommodating Jeremiah. Fine, but whatever. Um will say that the Lord hath Israel no sons. You know. Hath he no heir? Why then doth the, the king inherit Gad, and his people dwell in the city?" There's an almost implied sarcasm there, you see, that's so characteristic of, uh, you know, what's to worry? But uh, going on, verse 2, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will cause an alarm of war to be heard in Rabbah. Now, again, that's the capital of the Ammonites. Um, And it shall be a desolate heap, and her daughters shall be burned with fire. Then shall Israel be heir unto them that were his heirs, saith the Lord. In other words, Israel, even though she's in trouble right now, because she's under attack, she's coming back. There's also a a veiled promise and a word of encouragement to Israel, because they're going to return to these cities later. So Ammon isn't going to succeed in staying there. Verse 3, Wail, O Eshbon, for Ai is spoiled. Now, by the way, this isn't the Ai of Joshua. It's another Ai, I believe, but that's another technicality. Uh, for Ai is spoiled, cry ye daughters of Rabbah, uh, Rabbah, gird yourselves with sackcloth, lament run to and fro by the hedges, and their king shall go forth, and shall go into captivity, and his priests and his priests uh, princes together. Why, glorious thou in the valleys, thy flowing valley, O backsliding daughter, who trusteth in her treasures? saying, Who shall come unto me? Behold, I will bring fear upon thee, saith the Lord God of hosts, from all those who are about thee, Ye shall be driven out every man right forth. None shall gather up him that wandereth. And afterward, I will bring again the captivity of the children of Ammon, saith the Lord. Okay. Israel is returned. Other prophecies on Ammon. For those of you that might want to do a more thorough study, Ezekiel 21, verse 20. Chapters 28 through 32 of Ezekiel is about the Ammonites. Chapter 25, verses... um, no, excuse me. I, I'm reading my notes incorrectly. Chapter Ezekiel 21, verses 20 and verses 28 through 32. Apologize. And then chapter 25, verses 1 through 7 are on the Ammonites. Amos chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, and Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Again, according to the Ammonites. Ultimately destroyed. Enemies of Israel. And uh, so much for these guys. Now we come to Edom. Now, you may uh, recall in Genesis 36, the famous story of uh, where Jacob, you know, outwits Esau for his birthright, or I should more precisely, Esau disparages his birthright enough to sell it for some vegetable soup. Um, Esau and Edom, in effect, are synonyms. They both mean the red. The land of Edom is the land of Esau, and the birthright story, uh, uh, the whole... Birth of the two brothers, Esau and Jacob, uh, a major issue in Genesis. If you recall, Esau hated Jacob. From a human point of view, you can kind of understand it. He got outwitted more than once. And um, so later on, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and they're wandering, they want to go through Edom. They're denied that. They have to go around. They've never, that that's bothered. Yeah, that becomes an issue. Saul is in conflict with them in 1 Samuel 14. The uh, David subdues them and garrisons the land of Edom in 2 Samuel 8. Um, Joab attempts to eradicate all the males of Edom, it has a six-month campaign to do that. Hadad, the royal prince, escapes to Egypt, and the source, he's a source of annoyance to Solomon. Solomon develops the copper and iron and the caravan trade that the land of Edom provides. Uh, under, under King Jehoshaphat um, uh, is when Edom joins the Ammonites and the Moabites in an attack on Judah. You find that in Second Chronicles 20. So the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites are classical enemies of Israel. But the allies, incidentally, that thing come to blows. They fall apart. Um, okay. Uh, boy with the whole history of Edom. Um, under the rule of Babylon, Edom declines heavy tribute, that they declines. They're allied with Nebuchadnezzar in the fall of Jerusalem in 587. And they are overjoyed at the fall of Judah, their traditional enemy. And that's mentioned in several places. The whole book of Obadiah in the Old Testament is a prophecy against Edom. So they get a lot of attention. Now the Edomites become Idumea. When uh, uh after um um five eighty seven oh, correction let's see how to get this summarized without getting too lengthy. I'm not sure we've got the dates right, so I'll wait I'll I'll uh yes. Uh Idiomaia has a governor by the name of Antipater, about sixty-three BC, who gives birth to a guy by the name of Herod who becomes Herod the Great. And and it and, and and thus is the the uh, beginning of the Herodian dynasty. It's about 37 B.C. By the way, Petra is their capital. Uh, They're overrun by the Nabataeans. That's another issue. But the point is, under the Roman dominance of that part of the country, Edom, or Idiomaea, becomes the source of the Herodian dynasty. So King Herod is not Jewish. He's an Idiomaean. That is, he's from Edom. That explains why the Jews hated Herod. They didn't only hate Rome, perhaps if handled properly, they could have been philosophical about that, but the Romans appointed Herod the king from the ethnic root that's their traditional enemy. Herod tried to win favor of the people, that's why he built all these places, the temple and all this stuff. It was his attempt through civic works to become popular. Never made it. Um, Edom is censured by all the prophets. Their hatred of Israel is censured by all the prophets. Amos, chapter 2, the full book of Obadiah. Psalm 137 makes reference to it. And their desolation is promised in Isaiah 11, Isaiah 34, Ezekiel 35, and and so on. Lots of space in the Scripture against Edom. So most of that's what we're going to read here is no surprise, but Jeremiah gets um, about a 15 verse, I guess it is the 16, uh, 16 verse shot at him. So let's go. Verse 7, concerning concerning Edom, best saith the Lord of hosts, is wisdom no more, and Timon his counsel perished from the prudent, his wisdom vanished. Flee, turn back, dwell deep, O inhabitants of Didan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him. Don't get confused. Dedan is not necessarily Edom. Dedan is really south, the warning to stay away from Edom. Edom uh, Dedan is actually, we associate with Arabia more than Edom, but anyway. For I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, and that time will I punish him. If grape-gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they have enough. But I will have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His seed has spoiled his brethren and his neighbors, He is, and he is not. Leave thy, leave thy fatherless children, I will preserve them alive, and let thy widows trust in me. In other words, the widows and the fatherless children the Lord will spare, but the rest of them have had it. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, they whose judgment was not to drink of the cup have assuredly drunk, and art thou he that shall altogether go unpunished, thou shalt not go unpunished. And um, it goes on like this, For I have sworn by myself, saith the Lord, that Basra shall become a desolation, a reproach, a waste, a curse, and all its cities shall be perpetual waste. I have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent to the nation, saying, Gather together, and come against her, and rise up for, to the battle. For, lo, I will make thee small among the nations, and despised among men. Thy terribleness has deceived thee in the pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, and holdest the height of the hills, though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down from there, saith the Lord." Also, Edom shall be a desolation. Everyone that goeth by it shall be appalled and shall hiss and all his plagues. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, say the Lord, no man shall abide there, neither shall a son of man dwell in it. One thing about Edom is there's no restoration for Edom. All the others have a judgment coming, punishing them for their... um, Ungodly posture. But they have a promise at the end. And, um, but not for Edom. Edom's in real trouble. Like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. How many of you visited Sodom and Gomorrah lately? Uh, in verse 19 Behold, he shall come up like a lion from the, the swelling of the Jordan against the habitation of the strong, but will suddenly make him run away from her who is, cho- who is a chosen man, that I may appoint over her, for who is like me and who will appoint me the time, and who is that shepherd that will stand before me? Therefore hear the counsel of the Lord, he that hath taken against Edom and his, pur- uh, and his purposes, he that hath purposed against the inhabitants of Timon. Surely the least of the flock shall draw them out, surely he shall make their inhabitants desolate with them. The earth is moved at the noise of their fall, and the cry of the noise of it was heard in the Red Sea. Behold, he shall come up and fly like the eagle, and spread his wings over Basra, and at that day shall the heart of the mighty men of Edom be like the heart of a woman in her pangs. There's that phrase again. Now, some passages you might find interesting reading on Edom. Um, as I mentioned, that uh, Ezekiel 25 and 35 deal a lot with Edom, and Joel 3, Amos 9, Obadiah, first 16, oh, 16 verses, Isaiah 21, Isaiah 34, but most interestingly of all, Isaiah 63, because when the Lord Jesus Christ is there seen covered with blood fighting for the enemies, and he comes from Masra, bloodstained. Isaiah 63. You don't have time to get into it now. This passage doesn't seem to focus on that particularly, but I, sh- I share that for some interesting. Eden was the home of Eliphaz of Job, chapter 2 which is an interesting book because it was probably published during the days of Joseph in Egypt. It's one of the oldest books in the Bible. He came from the land of Edom, apparently, which was known for its wisdom, according to Ezekiel 25. Okay, Dedan, as I say, is south of Edom, really part of Arabia. We've talked about that. Um, Basra is a capital in, in, uh, in Jeremiah's time. Edom means the, also can mean the rock. which The word is Selah, and it's also the word Petra. So the city of Petra and the city of Basra are not co-located, but very close. They are all they almost, they, they poetically become synonyms. In the interest of time, I think we'll just keep moving on. The rest of these are fairly short, and then we'll try to summarize what we're really talking about here. Verse, uh, the, the next five verses are against Damascus. That's the city. We would see this as Syria, because it's going to mention Hamath and Arpad, and I'll come back to that. Let's just jump in here. Concerning Damascus, Hamath is confounded, and Arpad, for they have heard evil tidings. They are faint-hearted. There is sorrow on the sea; it cannot be quiet. Damascus is going to be here judged. Um, what's interesting is, um, by the way, the palaces of ben Benhadad are going to be destroyed before this over Israel's old enemy. Hamath is 110 miles north of Damascus, and Arpad is 95 miles north of Hamath. So, don't think this is just a city thing; it's really Syria in broad. Damascus has grown feeble and turneth herself to flee. Fear hath seized on her. Anguish and sorrows have taken her as of a woman in travel. There's that phrase again. How is the city of praise not left the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her streets, and the men of the war shall be cut off in that day, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall consume the palaces of Ben-Hadad. Similar to the previous, it's just nailing another enemy, a traditional enemy of Israel. Uh, let's move on. And the next few verses are two cities, Kedar and Hazor. And you and I can visualize these and be close. We're viewing them as Arabia. It wasn't Arabia then. They were tribal environment, but that's the net of it. Um, concerning Kedar and concerning the kingdoms of Hazor which Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, shall smite. Thus saith the Lord, Arise, go up to Kedar, and spoil the men of the east. What Jeremiah is really doing, is taking a swing around Israel. In fact, we're going from west to east, essentially.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.